Hi, yes, friends. On a Monday morning, it is GP, the One Giant Podcast, where, as always, you know, I am Adam Armbrecht, joined by the healthy, the wealthy, and the wise, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir? Long weekend. Member guest golf tournament. Shout out to Jay for, for hosting. What a blast that was. I feel like I need to just drink water and eat a salad for maybe the next seven to ten years. Did you get the loafers? Did you get the loafers? No, they're they're actually going to be shipped. They're, they're being shipped to the house. They didn't want to bring all the inventory. It's not like sunglasses where it's one pair fits all. They'd have to back up a whole massive U-Haul truck to have all the different skews and colors and sizes and everything else. So I will be getting those in a couple weeks. All right. Well, listen, that's, a, I guess, disappointing for the listeners. We all want to know about your footwear, certainly <laughs> off the bat following a great weekend. But in this episode this morning, we're going to talk about some surprising news that I think caught everybody off guard because it's not new news. It's just new to you um, and to me and I think to most Giants fans regarding Sam Beal. We're also going to cover a, a little bit of chatter around the, the training camp and some of the positivity of some of the young players, bubble potential guys as well. And then an interesting article uh, that is calling into question one of the Giants offseason moves. So big things. The wheels are in motion here. Before we dive in, let's start positive on a Monday, right? Coming out of the camp, um, one of the best things I think we're seeing is the the lucky player that we had fall to us at 50 in Aziz Ojolari seems to be showing up, seems to be giving you all the sample sizes that you want and garnering the praise from veterans on the team like the anchor in the middle of our defense, Blake Martinez. Yeah, so Blake came out saying he looks like a freakish athlete, like he's just unbelievable, like a specimen on the field. And the the great thing about it is Kirby Smart, his coach at the University of Georgia, um, said of Aziz Ojolari, he is a high motor, high character type of guy, which is very helpful when you have all these new personalities coming into the room. The Giants are looking to take that next step, you know. The, the last thing you need is, is a distraction on the defensive side with one of your early picks. So everything you're hearing about Aziz is, is exciting. He it sounds like the team is coming together. OTAs gave us a little bit of something to, to look at. And uh, Aziz so far has, has delivered for everybody on and off the field. Yeah, and I think that's important, like you say, rebuilding these cornerstones. Listen, we, we know the Giants are not above the fray of teams taking chances on players with some question marks off the field. Obviously, we're about to get into that here, but when you think about a a player like Aziz that you want to grow into and become a cornerstone leader on that defensive front there, you certainly, and defensive unit overall, you certainly want to feel like he is checking the boxes physically, mental IQ, right? Understanding the system. And then also representing the team. I feel like there's, there's players all throughout the giants history that have been able to do that for them. Now let's get depressed. Sam Beal, talk to me uh, about the, listen, compensatory third-round pick, a guy that I just think Giants fans look at and say, what could have been? And then even coming to this year, thought, what still could be potentially as he heads into the last year of his contract? I mean, surprising, almost shocking information came out that he had pled guilty to an arrest from, what, almost a year ago now? This feels like a weird through-the-crack story that just never got covered at the time. Yeah, you know what, Adam, it's interesting. So Sam Beal pled guilty to a gun-related charge. It was from June of 2020, right? And you're like, how are we only hearing about this now? But the whole thing was, I believe it was just a handful of days prior to this arrest happening in last June, Sam Beal opted out. So he kind of said, I'm out of sight, I'm out of mind, I'll see you guys all later. 
And then we find out what Sam Beal likes to do with his free time. And it's uh, apparently drive around in Ohio with guns in his car that he's not supposed to have, which is probably not a good look, especially when the team has given you chance after chance to try to ascend and become a full-time starter and try to make the team. And, you know, you, know, you, you never get upset about someone's you know, health decision to opt out of the season. But then all of a sudden, you, what are you doing with that time? It, it's not time well spent. And it's it's kind of crazy, Adam. Are you surprised that we haven't even heard a whisper about this at all, even though he did opt out? Oh, listen, I, I we won't have to belabor this point for now because I don't know what the long-term future is for Sam Beal on this team. But uh, to me, what it rings of is here's a guy that opted out just prior to something that was going to come out. And so he avoided it being a public thing, potentially. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't want to go tinfoil hat here, but it's almost like, hey, I'm about to maybe get suspended. Maybe something bad's going to happen here. If I opt out, then I end up getting to secure X amount of dollars off my contract that'll carry over and push it back into the following season. And if you're the Giants, you just, what, because he opted out, you just act like he's not on the team? But, you know, we still heard all about Nate Solder and what was going on for him. And that was all just, you know, personal reasons with his family and health and everything else. But you still, he was still very much in the news around the New York football giants. So there's something a little bit uh, unnerving about the idea that Sam Beal opts out and somehow the giants just are like, ah, yeah, I guess that, yeah, something, something might be going on. I couldn't tell you he opted out. We're unaware of his circumstance. Well, it's just never a good situation. Um, when you see that there was a traffic violation in Ohio, he gets pulled over. He has two gun-related charges against him. He also has marijuana in the car. And now you can say whatever you want about someone's marijuana use. However, in the NFL, it's still considered a banned substance. Probably don't want your players having banned substance with illegal firearms in the car at the same time, getting pulled over for doing something wrong, right? So like the whole situation is not great. This clearly is is a, a troubling red flag in terms of Sam Beal and the, and the Giants are thinking to themselves okay is the juice juice worth the squeeze like is it worth trying to see if this guy can can be what we thought he was coming out of college knowing that he hasn't been around the team in quite a while he's underperformed in limited action he's been injured gets gets arrested and now they were able to you know have Isaac Getum come on at the end of the year they drafted Darnay Holmes they got incredibly lucky with a Dory Jackson becoming available on the open market. Now all of a sudden you're like, is, is the juice worth the squeeze Adam? I highly doubt it. We'll get into it a little bit later with some of the bubble, but yes, those questions have to be very prevalent for the giants and Sam Beal at this stage uh, of his very young career is doing himself no favors, but you mentioned a Dory Jackson. And I just want to quickly touch on, because the bulk of what we're going to get into is some of these bubble roster players and, and our different perspectives on it. But there was recently a take from Seth Trackman of Roto World by way of, though, an article put up by, I want to get it right here, Dan Betton. And he was just talking about, so essentially it's Adoree Jackson. Is it going to be considered a mistake or a buyer's remorse scenario for the Giants after the upcoming season? He's on a three-year deal, as we all know, the $39 million contract with $24.5 million guaranteed. But inside of this, Dan references Seth Trackman's take on it, where the Giants have done a nice job re remaking their secondary over, over the last two years. Excuse me. 
They're taking on a huge risk with Jackson. The former Titan has struggled to stay healthy over the last two years, including only three games played last season, but he was guaranteed $26.5 million on the three-year deal from the Giants. The Giants defended the contract given to Jackson and insist that he checked all the boxes when undergoing his physical with the team. Quote, what makes America great is that everyone is entitled to their opinion, general manager Dave Gettleman said back in April. I just, do you think that, we, we all know that that Adoree Jackson has injuries, but we've highlighted the stats you know, f- of what he's done in coverage and what this player is capable of. I really don't think that maybe, maybe at the point of was the contract a little bit higher than it needed to be. You know, could you have gotten him at a cheaper deal? But I just don't see how this could be regarded as a head-scratching move. You have a glaring hole at cornerback. You have James Bradbury locking it down on one side. We just highlighted Sam Beal. You've highlighted other young players that we've talked about over the course of this offseason. Like, we don't have an answer there. We believe that we're about to take that next step forward and try to make the playoffs. Adoree Jackson is 25 years old, entering the prime of his career. Like, I just don't know how the, it's. there's a risk to it, as with any signing. But I don't understand. Like, this almost this felt like the obvious thing to do when Adoree Jackson was still on the market and the Giants looked at the needs on this roster. <clears throat> what's what's surprising to me about all of this is not that someone would write one of these puff piece articles that just like gets everybody talking about it like you and I that's not the surprising part the second piece is the the surprising part to me is the person that he picked for the Giants offseason signing to be the head scratching one like Adoree Jackson has played at an all pro level when healthy yep. Adoree Jackson to your point is 25 years old like uh, Dory Jackson's advanced metrics about pass breakups and deflections and in being in coverage are tremendous when he is healthy. Why wouldn't the Giants be taking a risk on a young, healthy player who has played at an all pro level before? To me, it doesn't make any sense The the surprising part about the list is there's a lot of guys like, uh, you know, Seth also talked about the Packers resigning Mercedes Lewis, the, the Cardinals uh, signing AJ Green to a deal. And it's all about like, Oh, is their best years behind them? They're older, aging veterans. It's in name only type stuff. Like that's not a Dory Jackson. He's the polar opposite of that. He's 25. He's young. He's athletic. Like to me, to be honest with you, I think there's more validation around Seth. If he had put Kenny Galladay signing on here, as opposed to a Dory Jackson, like Adam, look, Kenny Galladay is making more money per year. He's had significant injury histories as well. He's also a couple of years older than Adoree Jackson. So for me, like if you were going to pick one, one thing out of thin air to get clicks on it, like the Kenny Galladay one actually makes more sense. Yeah. And it's not even to say that we're not excited about having Galladay or having Adoree Jackson, but I think you're right, right. This is a guy, when you talk about the position wide receiver, you're about to maybe be coming into or falling out of your prime, depending on how a hip injury works for you. So certainly the risk reward there. And to your point at the start of free agency, the idea was the wide receiver markets coming down and the giants made the choice to still show the commitment to Galladay with a contract pretty darn close to market value relative to how the cap had been lowered and expectations and maybe everyone pushing it down the road until next season. So yeah, it's an odd one to me. Listen, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see him on the field. And I certainly think as long as uh, Dory Jackson is healthy, he's going to reap the benefits of playing across from James, James Bradbury and with the secondary players in behind him at the safety position. 
Well, now let's Adam, get to the yeah. I was, go I was gonna say, Adam, we're talking about guys like Kenny Galladay and Adore Jackson, who we know are going to be around on Sundays for the Giants this upcoming year. You but well, we we better hope so, or else <laughs> something's gone drastically wrong for us there. Um, but obviously, you know, through OTAs and training camp, we get exposed to a lot more players um, that may or may not be with this team, that may be on the practice squad, that may be contributors in, in week four or five after injuries. They may be guys just making the roster. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, an NJ.com article that came out that talked to, about a, a handful of these guys and what to be looking out for. Yeah, listen, this is Zach Rosenblatt. We referenced him before because I, I think he gives some at least intriguing information around the Giants. He'll also offer up something like this where we're talking about as we work through the offseason, players, are they going to get cut? Maybe have a chance for the practice squad? Are they going to be outright released and try to find another opportunity somewhere else around the league? When you talk about bubble players and guys that are in that range, the first ones that, that he brings up are in the wide receiver room, which makes sense. So, I mean, before I give those names, you're talking about a wide receiving core that we know has newly signed Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, fifth round selection during year number three, and Darius Slayton. And then you throw in having players like Darius Tony, the young rookie stud first rounder that we're excited about. After that, though, you know, those are the top four guys. Once you move beyond it, bubble players that Zach mentions here initially are John Ross and Dante Pettis. I just, my initial take on it is I don't see how, when you look at the roster, one of these two guys has to make the team. I just don't, I don't see how they can't make the team because in behind them are players like CJ board, Austin Mack, Alec Bachman, you know, guys we talked about from last year, right? And even a guy like uh, David Sills, who was brought back on another contract here. But guess what? Some of those guys are either practice squad players from last season who had maybe a little opportunity, a little taste of the NFL level, or they are exclusively special teams contributors like CJ board and even like Sills to that regard. John Ross and Pettis represent the two players that have an opportunity to be impact players on the offensive side of the ball that can help take the coverage deep over the top and allow the middle of the field work for a Kyle Rudolph, for an Evan Ingram, right? For Saquon Barkley out of the backfield, for the other starters we listed. So I'm just, when you put these guys on the bubble, maybe one of them is, but I just, I, I see a way where they're both on the starting day roster, unless a young player comes up and steals a roster spot from them. One of these late round draft picks like a Bachman, like a Mac. Well, I think the John, the John Ross piece is interesting because we've talked about, you know, follow the money is, is usually a, a, a good answer to a lot of the questions that you may have about why something's happening or why did someone choose to do something? John Ross is guaranteed a million dollars on his contract this year to be on the roster. So if they cut him and they let him go, that's a million bucks that just walks out the door for the Giants. Whereas some of the other guys don't have this money. You can move them back to the practice squad. They won't be scooped up by someone else. The problem is John Ross has had so many injury uh, challenges in his career. And, you know, he left the minicamp early every single day. Yeah. And, and you kind of sit there to say, say to yourself, you are, you know, I thought you could be a nice four or five wide receiver for the Giants. Now you're like skipping OTAs. You're not, you're, you're not staying the full time at minicamp. No one's really getting excited about that blazing speed, which is the reason why you're on this roster as of now to begin with. It just feels like, you know, he had an opportunity where you could just say, man, you saw Kadarius Tony out there, human joystick, unbelievable. Did you see how fast John Ross was when he was, 
you know, finally getting into his stride. You don't hear any of that. Instead, you're kind of hearing it go without a whimper. Whereas Dante Pettis had a couple of really nice catches. He got elevated on one that the, the beautiful picture of him up in the air feels like five feet. And you start to wonder, you know, if John Ross isn't going to be out there, can't stay healthy, you know, that speed can only get you so much when you're inactive on, on game day. A hundred percent. So I guess, like you say, you know, the, the guaranteed money or what it may cost to outright release him. I think when you talk about Pettis, he's been on the roster since last season. He was healthy through the camp. Obviously, he's someone that the Giants would look to use in the return game as well. That being the case, I think maybe John Ross still finds his way onto the roster because, again, any number of these other younger players or exclusively special teams wide receivers. And that's where you get into this, you know who's being kept in other areas of the team defensively, but for special teams contributions. And how does all that balance out? Who can be a gunner on special teams? That's where CJ board gives you the extra layer of special teams value. So it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to find right now a path for John Ross to make the roster. And I also feel compelled to say, man, I'd be hard pressed to think that they're not going to have him on the roster, given that they brought him in. There is some level of guaranteed money here. Right. And, and Adam, you know, even though we don't, I don't know whether or not this next player is considered a wide receiver or, or a tight end, but I think Kelvin Benjamin coming in and uh, trying to make a comeback at the tight end position. I, I find this fascinating because the Giants, you know, took the offseason to pick up a, a premier tight end in Kyle Rudolph. They have pro bowler Evan Ingram on the roster. You know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out if the, if Kelvin Benjamin has a legitimate opportunity to make this roster or if he's just a warm body right now. Yeah, it's hard for me to, to fully account for it. I mean, I you know, I guess you do. Again, you think about special teams. Could he be a factor in that regard as well, just to give himself some extra value? But when you look at the the tight end room, you talk about Ingram, you talk about Rudolph, then you have Caden Smith still there. You can say whether or not Toa Loa is going to make the cut. There's some other bodies that have been around camp, but I'm not even going to list those guys because I think they're well beyond the pale. The real question, I think, would become, do you move on from Toa Loa? Then that, that would open up at least one spot, theoretically, when you talk about the players that the Giants have carried. And maybe this is around the Kyle Rudolph injury and just trying to have, again, a warm body, a just-in-case, a guy that does, even though he's been out of the NFL, does have NFL experience. So you feel like if you needed to rely on him for a couple of reps early in the season, and then maybe you cut ties at some point, right? This could be a very short stint. I think it's at least worth seeing what he has. And if he shows enough, then he may warrant holding around on the 53-man roster. Again, he's probably, you talk about bubble, he is about as on the outside edge of the bubble as possible. Every time that a player on either side of the football shows value, shows youth and potential, that's another that's another bump that now all of a sudden Kelvin Benjamin is, is gripping by fingertips to that bubble. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Adam. When I think about Kelvin Benjamin, the, the, his actual problem is it, it's not that they signed Kyle Rudolph. It's not, it's not that they have guys that have been around for a while. The, the problem that we have is the construction of the tight end room today. And you have Evan Ingram, who it by and large is a below average blocking tight end in this league, I think would, would be a fair way to say it. Kyle Rudolph, even though he has size and he never drops a football, over the past 18 months, his numbers in terms of, of blocking have slightly regressed a little bit. And so people are wondering, you know, can he return to form of, of being a really good blocking tight end? You know, Kelvin Benjamin doesn't really bring that aspect to the table. He's he's a wide receiver now turned into a tight end, doesn't really know how how schemes work and how blocking should be. 
So when we talk about Smith and, and Toloa, it's like one of them has to be there for their blocking capabilities. Like we need a blocking tight end on the roster. So when you think about the construction of, you know, our top two Rudolph and Ingram aren't great blockers. It's it's I, I don't see a path for Kelvin Benjamin to make the roster because he doesn't feel the need behind the two starters. No, I see him gone. Let's move on. I mean, I really, I'm not going to belabor it. I don't see him making this roster, and I, I, because I don't think he has real value, and I don't think he moves the needle for me. What did What did Kelvin Benjamin ever do to you, Adam? <laughs> yeah, but it's not what he it's not what he did to me. It's what has he done for me? And so far, it's very little as a New York Football Giant. But listen, we're trying to make the best team possible here. Flip over to the running back room. A uh, guy that the Giants took a flyer on. This is a little. I'm going to make this a footnote. Basically, it's uh, Raquel Armstead. Obviously, they brought him in again. We talked about this preseason. Uh, training camp bodies because you know Saquon Barkley is going to be recovering from his injury. You're not going to overtax him. You're also not going to go in there and really demand too much out of uh, a player like Devontae Booker because you want to keep him healthy as well. But the even even further layer deeper why Armstead is probably a bubble guy that does not make the cut is that he's seen himself behind Corey Clement, veteran that was brought in, and even behind Gary Brightwell, who have both seen Corey uh, Clement, especially seen some first team reps over the course of the mini camps and, and the offseason. So this is a guy that. Uh, he opted out last year for COVID-19. He has some upside, obviously, limited sample size at the NFL level, was down in Jacksonville. I don't care. He's younger, so if I could have him over Clement, I probably would be happier with that. But if you're telling me that Corey Clement earns it in the camp and is getting the reps because he looks better, then I want the better player. So, I mean, this guy is just a quick one that I think ends up going by the wayside before we get into some names that I think have real um, intrigue when we talk about making or not making this roster. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, when you're talking about being the third or fourth depth at a certain position, you have to be able to contribute on special teams, right? It, it, you just have to. And from, from, uh, you know, what I've heard about Armstead doesn't sound like he really fills that void. Corey Clement has a little bit of that experience in special teams. So for me, well, it's not well as well, which I did not, I did not know when drafted that he has some special teams value too. He does. And, and so, as you could tell, maybe that's the – did you know – by the way, Adam, did you know that Joe Judge was a special teams coach at one point? Did you know that? You heard you heard a rumor about that. So, it, it makes sense that these guys need to have versatility and be able to contribute on that side of, uh, you know, of the, of that particular phase of the game. Uh, you know, Adam, the one place I wanted to go, uh, the, the last name that I think is interesting, is undrafted rookie Brett Heggie, right? So, he is – a center that the Giants have brought in. He is young. He is, you know, starting to try to make his ascent to, to try and potentially make this roster. He is competing with Jonathan Harrison to be the backup center, maybe swing guard or, or be able to fill in. Um, we were talking off the show. You felt actually pretty confident that you think Heggie makes the roster where I, I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic about his chances uh, you know, given the experience in front of him, just uh, talk to me a little bit about Heggie and, and where your mind is at when you when you think about where he fits in. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you look across the offensive line, you can talk about it. We want it to be Thomas Lemieux Gates. We saw obviously Hernandez getting some starting reps there at the right guard position, and then you want Matt Hurt. You think about Zach Fulton there potentially if Hernandez can't earn his spot as far as it goes. The Giants have brought in other guys like Jake Burton, Wiggins. There's a lot of Kyle Murphy is out there. Chad Slade is still on this roster. But when you specifically look at the center position where he's been brought in, 
he's right there. Like he's in line to be the backup center potentially. And what really intrigues me about him is when you go over, I pulled up a quick little scouting report here. Former Giants scout, uh, who I'm going to make sure I get his name right here, consultant David Turner. He was over on uh, speaking with Ed Valentine. And when he talked about Hedgie, he said, I watched a lot of Florida film. When I watched Brett Hedgie in the middle, he didn't get pushed. He didn't lose, lose a crown. He didn't lose an inch when people were coming at him. I think Hedgie is really going to be a potential center of the future, and he could be right or left guard initially. So the re- so this is also why I think he can make the roster, because when you look across this offensive line and you say, do we want Shane Lemieux to be the locked-in day one starter at left guard? Certainly. We also have to acknowledge that he is a late-round pick, and it's not like he can't be overtaken. Do we want Hernandez to still find a role here? We'd like him to, but even if he's beaten out by Fulton as far as on the depth chart, then that means that you still want to have a young player behind Fulton who's being basically being brought in as the Cam Fleming of this year to be a stopgap to save off and let a younger guy play behind him. So while I don't want to see the Giants working in offensive line rotation that we saw last season, in a world where Hernandez falls by the wayside and you're telling me that we have a player who can play any of the interior offensive line positions and who's a young undrafted rookie, but the Giants have now started to have a little bit of a track record of some later round offensive linemen working out for them. I just think that having a flyer on him, knowing that Nick Gates is going to be going into a potential contract situation, this could be a guy that ends up showing up over the course of the off over the off season, the training camps, preseason. He may get some reps as well because you want to keep Nick Gates healthy for the regular season. If he shows you enough of a spark, I think he's deserving of, of a spot inside of this offensive line room. And if it comes at the cost of a Chad Slade, yeah, I'm not really worried about that. Jackson Barton, like there's guys on this depth chart inside of the the offensive line room that I'd be happy to go by the wayside to make sure that we get a good look, an honest look at Brett Hedgie over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, you haven't mentioned Jonathan Harrison yet. I know I mentioned him before. He feels like he is most likely to be locked into a roster position as the backup center, to, to be honest, because of his experience. He's played almost almost 50 games in the NFL. And, you know, he's bounced around from team to team, so it's not like he's necessarily stuck anywhere. But having that experience, especially for a backup, when you know Nick Gates has to come out for a few plays, all of a sudden you just want someone that you can put in there that won't be overwhelmed by the moment. And that's that's what Harrison brings to this offensive line. Once you think further than that, Adam, I think the challenge, and, and we'll start breaking this down uh, on one of our next shows that we do, is there's just not enough rooms at the end. Like 53 men on a roster, when we start thinking about the depth that we have at certain positions – you just can't have that many players. And while we may like them, it really falls into that. Well, we got to let them go. Hopefully we could stash them on the practice squad situation. Cause you think about our secondary, you think about the offensive line, you think about our linebacking and pass rushing group. And we talked about the wide receiving group before you're like, well, clearly one of them has to make it between Pettis and John Ross. And you're right, but that's just one less roster spot for one of these swing backup guys that may be a, a third string guy to be able to make the roster. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Listen, I, and you know, there's a world where he ends up on the practice squad, right? I mean, you know, you can cut this thing any which way you want. I think that the Giants, by bringing in an undrafted player like this, they want to keep him around. Let's let's bottom line it like that. Whether or not he's on a day one starter, go take a look at uh, Harrison's PFFs over the last few years. You're not going to fall in love with that option necessarily either. Although I think just like Cam Fleming and just like Zach Fulton, the Giants don't want to turn it over to maybe an unknown commodity. Although they they did do it with Shane Lemieux last year. Like I just, you have to acknowledge that they did do that with Shane Lemieux because of what he showed them in camp. So keep your eyes on what Hedgie shows you. And that'll determine whether or not the Giants, I think would want to keep him, get him to the practice squad or try to keep him around this roster. And listen, I'm going to throw this out there real quick as we we're going to wrap this one up and mention a couple other quick names that were in this article, but keep an eye on what happens with, with, with Nate Solder here. I, I think that the Giants have done everything to welcome him back in and give him every opportunity. But by his own admission and by the, the coaches and the team's admission, this is an uphill battle for Nate Solder right now. He's trying to get himself back into football shape and also show that there was something in the football tank before he stepped away last year. So there's, there's a lot of things going on there. And I don't think that it's, this isn't a who are you keeping, Solder or Hedgy, right? It's not a one-to-one, but just in the overall roster and what players are showing it and how do you, if the Giants are staying true to constructing the best roster to help the team win, that's also where a Harrison, a Fulton, have to take priority maybe over another veteran who, listen, maybe one of the all-time worst contracts, you know, no no shame intended on, on Nate Solder, but when you go back and look at it, this cannot be what anyone expected, even in spite of the overpay at the time. The last couple of ones, because when you talk about roster spots, Cam Brown and then RJ McIntosh, I think obviously McIntosh is a guy that has to be on, on the outside very much looking in here because of the last two draft classes and the players that you've brought in. I think he'll have every opportunity over the course of the camp. But Cam Brown to me is a name that it feels like it's it's a beat too soon to start talking about him being off the roster. I understand that he's a later round pick, but specifically when we talk about the, the defensive side of the ball and you talk about the secondary, I think there's a lot of cuttable meat there, a lot of trimmable fat that were guys that were brought in to basically stem the tide in a very depleted, weak cornerback room. I feel like there's roster spots that you're going to see fall by the wayside, whereas the linebacking core and the defensive front are kind of comprised by a lot of young talent. We mentioned disease at the top of the show. We mentioned guys coming back from injury like Lorenzo Carter, right? There's so many question marks that players with intrigue and upside have to be given the chance, I think. I I think you'd be cutting off your nose to spite your face if you bailed out on Cam, who flashed a little bit last year, showed some of the weaknesses, showed the areas that he needs improvement in. And I just I see him making the roster because it's a little bit too soon for me to cut ties. The only difference being, by the way, one of the players not listed on the bubble is my boy Carter Coughlin because he does it. He does it on special teams, and he also can contribute some of these facets. I think that's the biggest hurdle for Cam Brown. If he can't be a consistent contributor on special teams, then you need to really carve out a depth role for yourself within that now crowded room on the defensive front. Yeah, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's 10 guys that are in the pass rushing linebacking room and not all of them are going to make the roster. They're, they're just not, there's just, again, not enough room at the end, Adam. And so that's why Cam Brown is one of those, one of those fringe guys where you like what you've seen. You've seen flashes from him. But when you go out and you sign Ryan Anderson, for instance, you go out and you still, you go get Reggie Ragland. You have TJ Brunson. You have Carter Coughlin. You just start naming the, the names. 
you know, I haven't even gone through the other half, uh, other side of the field when you when you talk about drafting Aziz Ojolari and everybody else. Mm-hmm. It just it just becomes such an uphill climb. Like you could like all ten of the linebackers, but if I said to you you could only pick eight of them, you'd have to make some really tough decisions. I think Cam Brown's going to be one of those where it, it may be a coin flip, and he may have to really show something in preseason in order to make this roster. Yeah, I'm looking at a guy like Cale Garrett who was brought in on the back end, right? Or you can talk about, I think, Devontae Downs being a player that was brought back, but I think brought back for this exact reason. If a young player shows up and takes that roster spot from you, Downs, good good for us. If nobody does, we like having this veteran player that instead of being a starter, ends up being a nice depth piece. That, my friends, is how you do a tight 32-plus minutes on the New York Football Giants on a Monday. We'll be back in on Wednesday. We're going to we're gonna try to go a little bit bigger picture. Coming off of, uh, you know, we had that great conversation around uh, former coach Jim Fossil, and we, we highlighted that really big game, the, the 41-0 burger over the Vikings on, on the way to losing in the Super Bowl. And it got me thinking about some of the greatest Giants victories or the best games that, that Andy and I have seen in our lifetime. So I think over the course of this offseason, or maybe during this week or into next week sometime, we're going to talk about some of those great Giant memories. Because frankly, until we really ramp things up here, guys, it's getting thin, right? And we want to give you some some fun things to talk about and to debate that you can get involved in as well. So think about those. Shout out at, at us on a social media at One Giant Podcast. Enjoy us over on YouTube when we're doing it live. And download, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled as one Andrew Makowitz would, uh, we would want, he would need, and, and certainly he would demand that you know. As always, let's go big blue. Ah.